0: Log Talk Radio.
1: I own it. I did that. Not proud, that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be.
0: everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I'm the author of the recovery blog, Unpickled. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. Well, many of us spend our time in active addiction, keeping secrets and staying silent. Many of us were raised to be pleasing, to be sweet, and to never show anger or negative emotions. And sometimes that silence fuels the discomfort behind our drinking, and then, as drinking unfurls its nature of addiction in our lives, the secret keeping escalates, kind of out of a two-sided hope. On one hand, perhaps wishing we could quietly turn it around before anyone notices, and on the other hand, hiding problems so no one will tell us to stop drinking. So is it any wonder that it feels so good to open up and start talking honestly when we connect with other people in recovery? Well, I met today's guest Julie at a yoga retreat in Mexico this past spring, and it was her first experience of sitting in the presence of other women in recovery and speaking openly about her journey into sobriety. And boy, was there a lot to say. We would finish breakfast and we'd linger at that table over coffee and suddenly they'd be telling us it was time for lunch. So, since returning home, Julie has discovered the joy of writing short pieces about her moments of clarity, and she's feeling brave. She's going to Share some of those with us here today. Julie, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Oh,
2: hi, Jean. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so good to hear your voice.
0: We had oh, a lot of so great good discussions. To hear yours too. Yeah. Yes, we I did.
2: Know. Yes, we did. It's
0: almost torture to be on the phone and not be sitting in the sun in our uh, flowing sun clothes. <laughs>
2: I know. Um, I know. And I told you, like I told you earlier, I had to i laid out my yoga mat right here in this little room I'm sitting in so that in case I need to lay down and breathe during this interview, I'll have a safe place to go. (laughs) It's your safe place. Uh, Yeah. I love that.
0: Well, let's start. Uh, Before we hear your story, let's just talk about that yoga trip. What did you feel like before you went? Were you nervous? Oh, my goodness. So the yoga
2: trip was the – The yoga trip was, like, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Um, I had been, um, you know, I I told you on our trip that I kind of got sober under the radar. And I was really trying to pull this off by myself. And I had gotten to the point um, where I was really ready to talk to some other people about my experiences and um you know when I first got sober I I explored the idea of going to rehab and um at several there were several things that um just made that not be the right uh, avenue for me one was being gone for such a long period of time from my family and I, I was I was just so fortunate and then when I decided to stop drinking I was I pretty much was able to stop, and I didn't go through the cravings that um, a lot of people do. So I consider myself very fortunate. Uh, but I was looking for some kind of extended time away with people who shared my experience. And um, I love yoga. A, a friend of mine is a yoga instructor, and she has lit a fire in me with yoga. And um, I had started and part of my Part of my road to recovery involves spending a lot of time online and listening to a lot of podcasts. And um, in that journey, I had somehow gotten hooked up with Dawn Nickel um, of She Recovers, and I'd gotten on her mailing list. And so this was um, December. This was in December of of, um, of being sober for a year. And a few months, I've been sober for a year and a few months, and so I wanted—I was feeling like I needed to celebrate something. It was also my birthday when this happened, and so I'm walking, I'm walking across. I go to this pretty little Episcopal church, and the, the parish hall is separated from the um, from the sanctuary. And so there's this—I'm walking on the sidewalk from the parish hall to the sanctuary, and I'm looking at my phone, and I check my email, and there is an email. From She Recovers, talking about this trip to Mexico, a yoga retreat, and there's a picture. I saw a picture that was of this yellow house, the house that we stayed in, with this beautiful blue sky and this um, Caribbean blue water. And I did something I've never done before. I just was like, that's it, I'm going. I didn't look at my calendar. I didn't ask permission. I didn't check my bank account. I just went straight to PayPal and I sent my deposit. <laughs> right there on the street. That's what I've been, right, right there in the churchyard. And so I was kind of giddy after I did that. And, um, I, that's, and I've learned I kind of do things that way now. It's because I had so much success with that. Why not Why? I try to figure it all out before you do it? Just do it and then figure it out. Um, so, so... Was, so that was December and our retreat was in May. So I kinda of put it out of my mind. Like I had a few, you know, a few emails back and forth with Dawn and um, kinda of put it out of my mind. Was busy doing other stuff and then um, I don't know when you signed on, but I, I we were you know, we had our little trip Facebook group that we could see when people were added to our group or when um, new people were added on. And you, your show, The Bubble Hour, had been one of the – and your blog had been one of the first things that I had – that had really resonated with me um, when I was looking for support in this kind of under-the-radar journey towards recovery. And um when Dawn posted Welcome Jeannie McCarthy, I was like jumping up and down. I was like, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh and I think that's what I posted on the little thing. I can't believe you're coming. I can't wait to meet you. And so then that was just like an affirmation that this was really what I was supposed to be doing and it was a gift and everything worked out so well, like everything worked out so well for the whole for the whole trip. The child care took care of itself, the Time away from home took care of itself. The the finances to pay for the trip just kind of happened. And so it was just, it was one of those meant to be sort of things. And and Uh the trip itself was for anybody out there that's considering um, going on a retreat and feels nervous about it or thinking that they're um, at whatever. Too much money, waste of time, blah, blah, blah. It's not. It's the best thing you will ever do. It will, um, it's, it gave me a tribe. It gave me a group of women. And we connected our group of people. I can't remember how many we had like 15 or so 20 or women, yeah. 20 or so women. And we came from everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Australia, Seattle, North Carolina, you know, all over the place, Canada. And we were together for twenty four hours, and we were a sisterhood and um and and i still i still that is like sacred family to me that that group of women, and we all just lifted each other up and um, it was just instant kinship. In fact, I have on my mala and my bracelet right a second. I put them on for good luck before I,
0: oh. I came downstairs
2: to get ready for this interview. And, and I do that. I find myself anytime I have something challenging coming up. I I, I don't I wear them most days, but not every day. But if I I know something tough is coming along, I will deliberately put them on so that they're with me, and y'all are with me.
0: These are, so those, are those are special the bracelets. Amazing when we yeah. when we go on um those retreats with she recovers they give they make a special bracelet for that group and everyone gets the same bracelet and um yeah it's really a reminder of your place in that tribe and um mm-hmm. did you find Julie like i i also got sober alone and didn't talk to anyone else that was in recovery for months um and I expected, I avoided it because I expected to find judgment. I either thought they were going to judge me as being a hot mess or as not bad mm-hmm. enough to deserve sobriety. And when mm-hmm. I did finally start to connect with people, I found the opposite. I found acceptance. Mm-hmm. They met me where I was at. And we didn't have to have everything in common because we just, everyone just holds space for each other and listens and supports mm-hmm. and encourages. and like, to me, that was a revelation. I've rarely experienced anything like it in my life. How did that feel mm-hmm. for you to walk into a group like that? Right. Well, I, you know,
2: my I think my hang-up was not so much the fear of what I would find in the group. Um, I was not afraid of that at all. I have, my struggle has been, um, I think this is still a, tru- a struggle to this day, um, and it all boils down to pride, and pride is one of my big stumbling blocks. Um, fear of what other people are going to think when they find out the journey that I'm on. And um, you know, I live in a teeny tiny little town. There's one path to recovery reflected here, um, and it's in a central. Lo- it's located in a central point in town, and I know everybody that goes there. So why wouldn't everybody else know that I go there? And, and so I just haven't really been able to come to terms with how that figures into um, how that figures into um, my family and my children and small town life. You know day by day and minute by minute, I get braver and braver. And being here with you um, is, is like the ultimate act of braveness braveness for me or gravity <laughs> for me or whatever the word is <laughs> and um um you know so i think that as i get and i shame is also another piece of it too like the sh- whole shame that i have bought into because i believed the stigma and I'm, it's starting to unravel for me. I'm starting to really realize like I told my husband the other night, um, I can't re- really remember what we were talking about, but I was like I mean, I'm a well, I'm not supposed to say this word so I, I won't, but I was like, I mean, I'm a bad A-SS. I mean I mean really, <laughs> literally. I mean I I really am. say it,
0: Julie. You can and say, I it. say it, it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um but I really so um so I'm It is a bad Yeah. It is. It is. It is. Um, and it is um, the most. Ama- and this whole recovery thing is the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life, too. Um, just the gifts are innumerable. They're. Um, it's overwhelmingly uh, amazing at times. Um, so I don't know if I really answered your question, but but, <laughs> but when I walked into the group in, in Mexico, that, yes, I mean, yes, it was. There was no judgment, and any group that I've walked into since then, you know, I've kind of snuck um, out of town and gone to a meeting here and there, and I've, I've just always had the most wonderful experience. It's just, it's not the group that I'm afraid of. It's the stigma that I have bought into that surrounds being an alcoholic. And, right. Um, it's more what's in and, your mind than
0: other people's minds, yes, right? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. And so I'm working on that day by day.
0: Um, I also have to say that, you know, in that group, I mean, like you mentioned, you were excited because you knew you were going to get to meet me. Fantastic, fabulous mm-hmm. superstar me. <laughs> but, but it's really important to me that like I don't none of us really elevate each other like I I I think you and I when we, like when we met and you were like I've listened to the bubble and I've read unpickled it wasn't like um um there's no hierarchy or ego like I love that we all address ego in recovery because mm-hmm. to me it was like we it was cool to meet like, oh, we participated in the same thing. Like I wrote something and you read mm-hmm. it. And we shared in mm-hmm. that and we helped each other in that way. And and mm-hmm. um like I don't know, I just love that. Or take someone like Don Nickel who's done like amazing things. I mean she recovers is huge. It's got like two hundred and fifty thousand Facebook followers. And um I and amazing. I mean like she started from her basement in Victoria, British Columbia. Like she's and she's so unassuming and down to earth, and like you, it, like mm-hmm. there is no intimidation, there's no ego. It's all like, hey, we're in this together, and mm-hmm. like nobody's like, oh, let me dominate the conversation. It was all like, I want to hear about you, and we want to learn about each other in our shared experience. And I I find that to be refreshing because I definitely find you know in the business world that I come from that egos do predominate and it is about mm-hmm. hierarchy and who's bigger and who's more. And to just take off mm-hmm. all those masks, is just, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing that we don't see in everyday life. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really I cool. Agree. So yeah, let's take you really back cool. a little bit. really cool. How mm-hmm. about um, we go back a bit in time and you share with us your story, Julie, what did your progression into alcohol addiction look like? And, and then how did it, Evolve into where you are today Okay
2: Well, um, I mean It's crazy, I probably I really think that I was an alcoholic Before I ever even had my first drink um, I was the kid that Did everything to the max And I remember my mom um, Hearing my mom tell a friend, oh my gosh I hope Julie never does drugs Because if she does, we're going to be in big trouble That child mm-hmm. does everything To the hilt, And um and that's kind of how I lived my life. I really did. I did everything to the max, to the hilt, to the, to the extreme. Um, and so it's no wonder that when I picked up a drink for the first time, uh, I, just, I did that to the extreme as well. Um, one of the first times, just to give you an example, one of the first times I ever remember being drunk, um, I first... <laughs> is a terrible story. This is a friend um, a friend of mine and I had been to a high school football game and we were spending the night in my parents' house in our basement and um, our basement I didn't I just thought this was normal. Our basement was kind of set up like a like a bar that you would go into. I mean it had a full-on bar with swivel chairs and shelves and a big mirror behind it and um, my parents were smart enough to lock all the stuff that you serve at a bar up. But um, just like any other self-respecting teenager, I knew how to get through a locked door. And um, we decided we wanted to <laughs> be what all that stuff was behind that locked door. And we, I can just remember us being there. We were tiny. We were tiny little girls, like 100 pounds or less. And um, we were drinking vodka out of the bottle, gin out of the bottle, um, just being completely stupid, just taking big sips just to see what it was like and laughing and just having a big old time. And uh towards the end of the evening we were um both kind of laid up on the bar and we had this <laughs> this jar of um peach brandy. I thought it was moonshine. We dad my dad had moonshine he had he had a room full of liquor that looked like a liquor store. I mean, there was more liquor in there than than any one person could consume in a lifetime. But I guess, and see, I don't remember that about my parents. I don't remember them throwing parties or being big drinkers. I just knew that there was this stash in, in our basement. And um, so anyway, so at the end of that night, my friend and I were like, by this time sobbing, as you do when you get really stupid drunk, and we were laying on the bar sobbing and crying, and I miss so-and-so, and I love you, and and then my dad is standing right there in front of me. And the worst part of it is we were also, I left Twinkies at the time, and they're so disgusting now, but at the time I left Twinkies, and we were dipping Twinkies into that jar of peach brandy. And, and so you can only imagine how sick I got. My dad's standing right there, and God bless him. I mean, the it, it, um, so priest loves to say that sin has consequences of its own. And um, I think that's kind of what my dad, what happened to me. I didn't get grounded or spanked or whatever you get when you do something stupid like that when you're 15 years old. But um, I, I, he was standing there and I was crying and I love you and I miss you and uh, I'm going to be sick. And so he rushes me to the bathroom and holds back my hair while I puke all over the place and um, lets me sleep, sleep. Actually, I couldn't sleep it off because guess what? The next day I had to take the SAT. Now that's really smart. And I, I did so many of those really smart things in my life like that. I really did. I just uh, There's this saying, and it's so true, that God looks after drunks and fools, and I've been both of them. Um And so anyway, so he let me go take the SAT and every break we had, I had to go to the bathroom and throw up and um, have the dry heaves and just be sick as a dog. And I I had my own consequence for my bad behavior. Um, And so that was pretty much my first memory. I I may have sipped alcohol before that, but that was my first real memory of being drunk. And... um, and then through high school I was pretty a pretty good binge drinker we would look forward to the weekends and Friday and Saturday night we would go out and drink a bottle of Boone farm or drink a six pack of beer or, or and just be stupid and um, and I I was I had the mindset that I could get away with anything as long as I made good grades that I couldn't be questioned if I kept up my um, grades and all those responsibilities and my Then my parents wouldn't have any leverage to keep me in, and I could just and I lied. I would lie to their face about where I was going and what I was doing. Um, But somehow I lived through high school and I graduated and I went to college. And um, at college, I just kind of missed the whole point because I was so interested in um, boys and getting their attention and drinking and. then that whole shame cycle that kind of evolved around getting the attention of boy, being ashamed of the way you got it, and then drinking too much to cover up your shame, and then on and on and on. So that cycle went on and on and on, but somehow I lived through that, and I got out of college, and um, I tried to run away from myself. <laughs> I thought, okay, I've been so bad for so long, I've got to get away from myself and start over. So I I ran out to colorado after college and i um, was going to work in the ski resort and um work in the ski resort for a little while just to kind of regroup and guess what when i got there i was still i was there here I was. It was, the same me, <laughs> nothing changed. That whole change of location is a really, it doesn't do anything. It's a waste of your time. You really have to look at yourself before there are going to be any major changes. And so, um, so, again, more of the same, too much drinking, too much attention seeking from boys, and all the consequences that go along with that. And so at the end of that year, I was kind of headed home to grow up. And I was driving across um, The country To get back to North Carolina And um, I was thinking I was on my way home to study To take the LSAT to go to Law school um, That never happened um, And I Got a call from a friend Of a friend who Owned a uh, like an outdoor store In the on St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands And he Uh, he said, look, I'm looking for somebody to come down here and manage the store. And I had been working in a similar store in Telluride and then before that in Chapel Hill. So I had a lot of experience with, um, you know, the different lines that he represented and whatnot. And so, you know, I said, you know what, one more chance to not grow up. I think I'll go to St. John. And I did. And I stayed there for a few more years that I was, I was still the same person. I was still um, just kind of stuck in that whole pattern of just – I was really lost, actually. I was really lost. And, and the thing that I've forgotten to tell you is that it was it, – throughout all of this, from the very beginning, all of these behaviors that I had were all trying to fill this giant hole in myself and um, – and they were just maladaptive. They did not work. There was, there was. They created a bigger hole, and a bigger hole, and a bigger hole. And, and, and my, you know, I've come to know that only God can fill that hole. And, you, and that for me, for me, that's not for everybody, but it's for me. And, um, and so anyway, so I've just, uh, where was I? I was in where? St. John? Okay, St. John. Yeah. And then I, so I, I, it was time, that was over, that was done, it was time, and it was time to come back to North Carolina. And so I came back to North Carolina, and um, my family was so gracious and so loving, so accepting, and I, I I moved in with a friend who just opened her doors right for me, and I um, started working with my dad, and I got involved in some other activities, and um, some of the volunteer things that I got involved in led me to want to pursue um, a master's in social work, and so I did the necessary things, and I went to um, to graduate school, and um, which kind of led me into the field of counseling, and after school, I worked as a counselor, and then I'll help Um, at the mental health center um, in the little town I live in, and I worked as a counselor in the public school system. Um, and, um, And so after all the travel and all of that, it really became important to me to let go of the bad girl self and become the good girl self. And so I think a lot of actions that I took were an effort for me to prove to myself that I wasn't the bad girl that I had been all those years, that I was a good girl, that I could be a social worker, that I could get married and be a good wife, that I could be a good Sunday school teacher, that I could be a good volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. I did all these things to be the the good girl. And, you know, I just really went on this um, crazy pursuit of being the good girl. And um, so I met my husband, and we uh, got married, and all these things with my uh, career were happening, and... and we were similar in our drinking habits. You know, we'd both been to the same college. We both were binge drinkers. We both came from families that drank a lot, enjoyed their cocktail hours. And um, we both, we love to drink. We love to drink. And so that's what we did for fun together. We drank. And um, and, then, and then it became time to start a family. And I, I didn't have trouble I you know we I decided I'm not gonna drink through pregnancy, I'm not gonna drink through breastfeeding, and that came pretty easily to me. I didn't miss alcohol at all during the times I was pregnant or breastfeeding um, and and um but but motherhood rocked my world um, becoming a mother just flat out pulled um, the rug out from underneath my feet. I had no idea how hard um, being a mother could be. You know, I had this vision in my mind of what a mother would be and I would be this little mom with my beautiful little 2 headed children, and we'd be driving through a field of sunflowers and I'd <laughs> have on overalls and be barefooted and they'd be sitting in the back of my old antique pickup truck, which I don't have this none this is all just a vision that I had and <laughs> and it wasn't like that at all. it wasn't like that at all it never changed a, changed a diaper I had never changed a diaper before I had a baby and um and i had no i had no idea the sleep deprivation that would be involved, and I had no idea the um the sense of helplessness that would be involved it was it was besides um, besides admitting that I had a drinking problem and getting help it was the single most humbling experience of my whole entire life and um I love my children I love my family so much and I would do anything for them but they were hard babies and um like I told you earlier I am so prideful and they were hard babies and I am prideful and I didn't have many um my own family's not close by so I didn't have that natural built-in help that you have and I was too prideful to ask others that are around me for help so I found myself in a mess. I was in a mess. And that's when my anxiety just ramped up. Um, You know, these little babies and they're they're constant. They are. And I was so proud. My babies were colicky and I wouldn't even admit it. My babies couldn't be colicky. Uh, You know, I wouldn't even admit it. But looking back on it, I mean, holy cow. The hair on the back of my neck still ha- stands up when I hear a baby screech. So uh, if that tells you anything, I think I have PTSD. <laughs> um, so anyway, so my anxiety was ramped up. And I have these things that are de- so demanding, 24 hours a day. And... um. Come five or o'clock, I'd start looking for my husband to come in the door to get some relief, and my husband never gets home before 630, And but I would always start looking for him at five, and so that whole hour and a half, all that was going on at the end of the day of the, the witching hour with the children, the fraying of your nerves, the place where you want to pull your hair out, the locking yourself in the bathroom, the crying, all of that stuff that happens, um, that's that is when i really saw something start to change with my drinking because i went from being this kind of wild party girl drinker to being this more sophisticated drinker like i would open a glass of open or pour a glass of wine at that five o'clock hour and um look forward to that as the relief or the de-stress or the unwind or the um, escape from all this madness of motherhood and babies and all of that. And, um, you know, over the progression of years, I um, I started to talk to you about my anxiety. I was a terribly fearful mother. I was so afraid that something was going to happen. And I lived in, like, hyper like i was like in hyper vigilant mode all the time Mm -hmm. i was -hmm. if we were if we were outside playing in the grass i was looking for snakes or fire ants or um you know anything that could possibly hurt my child or i was if we were driving down the road i was i was in just hyper vigilant mode watching out for everything that could possibly happen and trying to protect them from anything that could possibly happen and i was i was unknowingly i was making myself sick and that i was that i can't imagine i don't even want to know the impact that will have on my children when they when they grow up but anyway um so i was in this hyper vigilant mode and i was very anxious and i was so scared something was going to happen and to my children and i lived like that and i lived like that for several years um maybe four years, I think my daughter was four, and a friend of mine had something terrible happen to one of her children. And I realized that it was true. My fear was true. It was justified that I I could lose a child, that it could happen. And that just ramped up my anxiety. And, um, And so I started... I started looking more and more to that end-of-the-day glass of wine. end-of-the-day glass of wine turned into two. And um, before you knew it, it, turned into three. And then before I even... I mean, it's just all it's so insidious. It, like, sneaks in. You don't even know that you're doing it. And mm-hmm. then the next thing you know, you're stuck. You're stuck. Mm-hmm. Like, I was... Um, so throughout this journey... Um, after my friend's child's death and and trying to come to terms with that, it's um it's been a real spiritual journey and I've really been seeking um just seeking, and I found great comfort in my faith and I've been involved with um I was involved I have been always been involved since I've been married and living in this community a, a women's ecumenical Bible group Bible study group and um. We, every year, start a new study, and so we do tons and tons of studies. And this particular year, I don't know who the teacher was, and I don't know what the name of the course was, but I remember the message that was coming through to me was, um, you better get hold of your problems before your problems get hold of you. You better get hold of your problems before your problems get hold of you. And um I had been starting to wonder if I had a problem with drinking and um part of our um faith's practice is during Lent you'll give up something for a period of time or take on something for a period of time or just choose to do something that kind of honors your faith and belief. And um so I said, Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit drinking for Lent, just forty days and if I can do that then I'm not an alcoholic. Well, I did that. I did it. No problem at all. I didn't drink for 40 days. I can't be an alcoholic. Well, I did it again the next year. See, I'm not an alcoholic. I can do this. Um, but then those those month, days and months in between the days that I would uh, I would say today I'm only going to have one glass of wine. That's what I couldn't do. I'd have one glass of wine. And I'd then before I knew it. I'd have two or three or four, and and you just I could not just have one. And I lived like that for a long time. That that whole process of um, telling myself in the morning, I'll, I'm not drinking today, or I'm only going to have one glass of wine, and then the defeat of it, at the end of the day, I've had more than I intended to, and here I am again, and waking up the next morning with your heart just pounding and your hands shaking and your so ashamed and disgusted with yourself and you um, uh, it it was just that was hell that was hell and Mm -hmm. um, several things happened in my life that just gave me the wake up call and I think the first step was that Bible study that I told you about the second thing that happened to me um, or that I that was part of the story was I was at a football game with my husband and my Family, and um, we were in a, in a we were in a box at a football game, and in the box at a football game, there's this person that serves the drinks, and um, so you can't just walk over to the refrigerator and get your own drink. The person serves it to you, and so there's a lovely lady serving drinks, and we got to be we chatted and connected and made friends, and um, so. Uh, and, went away after the weekend the weekend was over well my husband happened to go back to the very same box the following weekend for a football game um with my with all the men and both of our families the women were not there but the men all went to see this ball game and um when my husband went to order a drink he said to the server he said you know i probably shouldn't have this drink but I'm, my nerves are fried it was like one-point game or something. He said, my nerves are fried. I really need to calm down. And the server said to him, she, she said, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, sir. This crowd, they're professionals. I mean, if you, I mean, my father and brother, she said their names and said that they they know how to handle their liquor. They're they are professional drinkers, she said. But if you really want to know who's a professional drinker, you should meet so-and-so's sister. She can hold her, hmm. Liquor. Well, guess who she was talking about? And my husband just these like <laughs> deer in the headlight looking his eyes. And he and she, the woman says, uh, "You know, who I'm talking about." And you, and he says, "Yeah, you mean so and so's sister?" And
0: she said, "Yeah." <laughs> Julie, <laughs> repeat that. Well, you just you that's... just cut out for a minute, Julie. Just oh, well, Julie, I... your lines just cutting uh-huh. out. Are, are you still there? I... Okay. I... Just to go back to where he last thing I heard clearly was when she told him you should meet so and so's sister okay,
2: so she told him you should meet so and so's sister and and my husband gets this kind of deer in the headlight look and um and <laughs> she says to him uh you uh do you know this person and he said, Yes, you said so and so's sister right and he said. She said yes. He said, Well, I'm married to her, that's my wife. And so he mm-hmm. comes home and tells me the story about this I mean, I was so embarrassed I could have just crawled under the table. And at and to that point I wasn't really aware that anybody else was paying attention to how much I drank. And um I had done a really good job of surrounding myself with people who drank a lot. So, I just really, I just really wasn't aware that anybody else was aware of how much I was drinking, and so that was a little nugget that stayed in the back of the brain. And the final straw that broke broke the camel's back was. Um, and you know, you're always here to look for the good and bad things. Well, it's true. You got it. It 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 it's true, because somehow or another, the bad things in my life have always produced the most wonderful fruit and um, a loved one of mine, a very big loved one of mine, um, um, was drinking and driving and got a DWI. And um, because they got the DWI, they had to take this, um, I don't know, rehabilitation course, I don't know what they call it, but you go to the seminar so often, you can't drive, it's a real inconvenience in your life. And um, this person had to do all of that. And after, after they completed the course, they, um, they shared with me some of the experience they had in the course and, and um, encouraged me. He said, um, Julie, you really ought to be the person in your community that teaches this course. I mean, you, with all of your social work skills, you would do great. Uh, you should really look into doing this. Um, and I, I was like, I can't do that. I drink too much. How hypocritical would it be of me to be the one that's teaching um, drunk drivers about alcohol? And and I mean, I'm no saint. I've driven drunk before too. And um, I couldn't do that. I'm not saying this out loud, but I'm saying it to myself. And um, mm-hmm. he said, he said, you know what? Why don't I just give you my workbook? You can see what it's see what it's all about and so I put that book, workbook away and um, actually I lost it and he ended up having to buy me another one he, he made a special effort downtown to the little agency where they sell them and bought me another one um, when huh. I asked for it later When I, later, that, later a year later I guess I was ready to look at it and um, that was when I was really in the throes of I have a problem I need to look at this I want to I don't know what to do, and I have, I, I wanted to look at this book, and I didn't have the book, so I went to the internet, and I Googled all this stuff about how can I be a Christian and be drunk, a drunk at the same time, and, um, put mothers and alcohol abuse, and am I an alcoholic, and all of that, and, um, and so I'm doing all of that, and I'm really deciding to have a problem, and then my dad sent me that book, and, um, I, I read it, and it's it's crazy. I can't – I went, looked for the book this morning because I wanted to read from it to you. But the whole time it's trying to tell you whether or not you have a problem. So it's telling you all these, like, you know, all these, like, well, if you can do this and this and this and do this, and you're not an alcoholic or you're you can probably still keep drinking – Um, but if, you know, if you cross this threshold, you can't. Well, I kept telling myself in my complete alcoholic brain, well, I can still keep drinking. Well, I can still keep drinking. I I can still keep drinking. And, um, then I get to the page where there's this chart and you've had to do this exercise that, 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 um, asks you to record how many drinks you drink in a week or whatever. And, um, And there's this big chart, and it talks about the demographics of whom all falls into the demographics of whom drinks this amount. And, um, you know, I always thought I was kind of regular. I mean, I knew I drank a lot, but I always thought I was kind of – I always thought everybody drank a lot, so I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And um, when I saw that chart, my my heart sank. And it was the first time I was like, oh, my God. I really have a problem. I was in the one percent, and uh, mm. I was like, I don't want to be that person. I'm gonna cry. I don't want to be that person. Um, I don't want to be that mom or that wife or that daughter or that friend. I'm just, I don't want this for myself. And so, this is it. And um, and that was it. I had um, that was it. I just from that point, I decided that I wasn't going to drink anymore until, uh, until about a month later, an a old friend from high school came to visit me, and I was convinced that since I had made it a whole month, that if I could make it a whole month, surely I cannot have to admit to my high school friend what's going on with me, and I can have a glass of wine with them. And um, two bottles later, and the next day spent in bed, I realized. I, I just I couldn't do it, so I had to be done, and I was. And by the grace of God and lots of miracles, I don't even understand how that was the last time I had a drink, and um, and uh, and that was the, and that so that all oh, that long story that I just told you is that's past, ancient history. It's over, it's done. And this, like this moment right here that we're on the phone. Forward, mm-hmm. that's going to be my life. That's it, and I'm so <laughs> I'm so excited and relieved and happy about all of that. Um, and I can it really is when you get freedom. Yes, it is freedom. It is freedom, and um, and it's been a journey. It's been a huge journey. You know that I told you I've been sober for almost two years now, and um, that first year was really tough um, not in a craving alcohol sort of way but in an an emotional holy cow I've never felt a feeling before and now I'm going to learn how that works and mm-hmm. um, and and so I mean I, I had you I know mean, I had days where I just would be in my bed and crying and just couldn't I just couldn't I couldn't adult, that's what we call it, I couldn't adult, I couldn't do it. (laughs) And thank God I had people around me that could, you know, help me or, you know, support me and allow me to be where I needed to be at that moment, which was just um, a big blubbery, slobbering mess in my bed. And then slowly but surely, you know, work through that. They talk about fault, all that hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are definitely... Um, things to pay attention to and I, I began to recognize that if I was getting ready to spiral out of control, there was probably one of those things going on for me. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and then I just kind of plugged into, like I got into a real routine of listening to your bubble hour and um, reading blogs. I found Glennon. Um, I read carry on warrior and i was like holy cow (laughs) i have a sister after all there is somebody (laughs) in this world that can truly relate to me um
0: that's glennon doyle melton who um you're talking about momastery.com and she just released Mm -hmm. a new book love warrior and um Mm -hmm. if our listeners haven't discovered glennon's work yet she is fabulous
2: Amazing, amazing, and so um, authentic and real and true, and um, and what I've found, just the little bits of it that, I, like, getting to the point where I really want authenticity and truth. I really, really want it. I'm still stuck somewhat, and I still have some hangups that i got to work out, but I'm working on it, and so... That's just the best I can do at this point. <laughs>
0: are your hangouts around like embracing your identity as a person in recovery? Is that what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, um, yes. And just being really open about it. I have just mm-hmm. recently, um I've just recently I'm in this group of fantastic women and most of them are um the generation ahead of me. There's one other person in this group that's my generation. And they're just like role models and mentors, and I love them so much. Um, They're amazing. And we've been on this journey together. We meet monthly. Um, This is a spiritual journey. And we meet monthly and and just support each other through everything. And I joined this group literally right after I got sober. And I had not shared with this group what I was going through until Monday of this week. And um, just like you said about... Like and when I shared, I I had written something in my journal for that day that just really resonated with the um, scripture we were studying. It was a it was the story, the parable of the farmer and the seeds. And he throws the seeds on the um, dirt path, and the birds eat the seeds. And he throws the dirt the seeds in the rocky soil, and the um the can't take root or they take root and the roots aren't deep enough so the sun burns them down or they finally get um laid on rich soil and then they grow deep roots and then they sprout through and they provide abundant fruit well i i feel like that's kind of i i feel like that's kind of where i am in my journey right now i feel like i have been that um in fact, I'm just going to read this journal entry to you, if that's okay, because it tells oh, love what I was feeling. Okay. Says, um, I'm so full of joy that I'm having to sit on myself right now so I won't float away. I have been the path, the hard soil, the rocky soil for so long now. God has been showering me with seeds that haven't taken root. He's probably dumped thousands of bags of seeds on me, but today, in this minute right now, there is a seed that has taken root and is about to burst through the earth's surface and produce fruit of unbelievable proportion. I need to tell you about this seed, and I need you to help me stay accountable to the care and nurturing of this, give you a little history on my soil preparation and without going too far back or without giving too many details, I need to tell you about the journey I have been on for the last few two years, um or the last few years. I found I found myself in a really dark place a few years ago. I've always been a limit pusher. I've always been a ringleader in high school and college. I was life of the party. I always took everything to the hilt. I was all or nothing and that mentality has not always served me well. When it came to alcohol, I had the same attitude. In college, I mastered binge drinking. In the years that followed, I could either take it or leave it, but when I took it, I always took too much. As a mother, I left it easily when I was pregnant and breastfeeding, but when the children were through that phase, I started to look to my evening wine as a source of comfort, a way to de- de- de-stress, calm down, escape the madness of early motherhood. Over time, as alcohol is quite adept at doing it, dug its insidious evil claws into me um I've lost my way I was struggling I was I was struggling with the anxiety that comes with parenting I was so fearful I had no clue what I was doing no support and too much pride to ask for help for anyone um and while I wanted to have faith, I didn't have faith. And I plundered through years like this, scared out of my mind. That something was going to happen to my children. And, some, and then something awful did happen to one of my friend's children. And um, he died in a tragic accident. And that event triggered a series of events in my life that slowly, over time, had prepared my soil to receive God's seed. And um, And the seed that I'm talking about is that after... Two years of just, like, being, like, feeling like you're walking underwater, just, like, just trudging, like, everything is so exhausting. It's just after that, after two years, and then after two years of having no motivation, no drive, just, like, feeling like you're barely getting by, barely alive, barely surviving, somehow something in the universe has switched, and I have I have like this energy and this perspective and this drive and this motivation, and have all these irons in the fire of positive things that are going, that are happening right now that I'm a part of. That these are all things that, in my, my, those dark days that I refer to, I just, I it wasn't there. And I had begun to, I had begun to wonder, I was like, I would ask myself, as I'm laying in my bed I'm sorry for myself, I ask oh, myself, um, like you're, you're cutting
0: in and out Can a little bit.
2: You're cutting in and out a
0: little bit. I just want you to back up oh. just a little bit. Okay. Um, you were just talking about irons in the fires where you started cutting in and out. Um, okay. And uh, do you mind picking up from there? I don't want to miss anything. No, you're I'll so be- eloquent.
2: Oh. Um, so irons in the fire. So I have all these irons in the fire of really positive things that are happening that I'm like that I'm instigating. Like I have this energy that's that's just kind of been unblocked or unleashed and um and so I'm so excited about that. i just really am um just kind of buggling over with the excitement about because I've begun to wonder if I because I would ask myself, am I lazy? You know, am, am I just lazy? I just can't do anything. I mean, I could get through the daily grind of the bare ne- necessity of things that I had to do. But I I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get anything else done. And um, seed that is bursting through Um I can't explain it. i don't understand it, but I'm really
0: excited about it. It feels so good. <laughs> so where, uh, tell oh. us like where you what do you do today? Because you're at this point where you, you were brave enough to share with the ladies in your group. And what was their response? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, they were amazing.
2: And so, um, so encouraging and so understanding and so thankful for my authenticity and so loving and um, and kind and everything, you know. Um, so there's, there's no fear. I don't, you know, and this is a sacred group of women, sacred trusted group mm-hmm. of women. So I had checkmark a great experience there. Um, and checkmark, a great experience at several meetings I've been to. And check mark a great experience on our retreat. So so slowly but surely, I'm um, finding my voice. And uh-huh. um, so I told you I was doing this yoga teacher training. And over the weekend, I met this girl. And she is like, I, you know, you meet somebody and you're like, oh, my God, I've known you my whole life. And yeah. you're... <laughs> Well, she, I'm not one of those. And so, um, I lost my thought. Yoga teacher training, met this girl. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. So, and so she is in recovery also and has, has found her voice. And she's been in recovery for a long time. And I don't know her story. And I don't know, um, I don't know. I don't really know her story or that much about her except that she shared with me that recently she has become very loud and proud of her recovery, and that's where I want to be. That's what. That's how I want to be. I want to be loud and proud and unashamed, and uh, I don't want really to care what that snitty little woman who's whispering over in the corner thinks about me, and that's my codependency. You know, we all... That's mm-hmm. all. It's a mm-hmm. whole other story that I'm working on, too. But, I mean, I I just don't want to care because it so doesn't matter. And if I can tell my story and share it with um, women who are are like, I know I'm not the only one that's had this experience. In fact, I've been listening to people who've had the same experience on your show and other podcasts, and there's a whole world of there, and there's a whole world of more women out there who are still in the darkness and I, just, I want to bring them to the light and, no. and I want to keep my children in the light. You know, that's the other thing. I want to keep my children oh. in the light.
0: And and, and,
2: and by um, in the light,
0: like you're talking about being honest and authentic and like, you mm-hmm. know, that cliche that our secrets make us sick. Um, I think there's mm-hmm. so much truth in that, right? Because it just mm-hmm. like, it just blows it out of the water. If we're so worried what people might think of us, if they know that we don't drink and then we take, Mm -hmm. we take that power back when, I mean, we don't have to advocate. We don't have to tell each other there's power in remaining anonymous too. But if you choose to share it with people, you kind of take back the control of the dialogue and it takes the power Mm -hmm. away from someone. And the person in the corner who's gossiping about you might be like the kind of person who, if they're not talking about that you drink too much or that you're sober maybe they're <laughs> going to talk about your shoes or your hair cuz they're just an unhappy person yeah. like <laughs> right you can't control them but but you can control you and and the thing mm-hmm. that gives you back the power is to say i don't mind if you talk about me in fact well, tell me what you'd like to know because maybe <laughs> i can help you <laughs> yeah, i can make it more intricate for to look at you it uh, mm-hmm. Hey, we only have a few minutes left, Julie. And there was another piece oh. I was going to have you read. Um, I, oh, okay. you know, I We kind of talked about that. Do you know the one I mean, um, or do you have one that you'd um, like to read?
2: Um, well, I don't. I'm not sure I know which one you mean. I know that. Um, i How about the Fly on the Green or the Bad the one? The Fly on the oh. Green. Yeah. The Fly on the Green. Okay. Okay. So the Fly on the Green. I'm going to take my glasses off so I can see this thing. Um, okay, I have been doing this sober thing for almost two years now. September 19th, two years alcohol-free, not a sip, unless you count the time I sip communion and the special chalice from the bishop on Confirmation Day. Other than that, I'm strictly a dipper. One thing that helps me stay sober is yoga. Yoga falls into a larger category that keeps me sober called self-care. Well, this particular Saturday morning, my friend was leading a yoga class on the courthouse green in my pretty little waterfront town, shimmers of light off the water, the hum of cicadas crescendoing, and wafts of incense floating through the air. A beautiful morning in the hot, muggy month of August in the south. So I had gotten myself to yoga, convinced myself to choose self-care, over the easier choice of lounging in my cozy bed with a cup of coffee and the endless look of Facebook posts that I have saved to read later, and I felt good. The energy was good. Warm smiles and greetings from friends missed all summer long. My friend's voice was soothing, and I depicted the clip of a professional ballerina, which she was in another life, but ever so subtly. Lincoln, breathe. Drop your shoulders. The fly. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Is this what the universe has for me today? And all this beauty, a fucking biting fly, pain in my ass stinking biting fly That is kind of what sobriety has been like for me. Surrounded by beauty, exuding peace, filled with joy, and then ouch the bite. The asshole that made a big deal about me not drinking at a Sunday afternoon seven year old birthday party. I wonder if he has a problem. The sparkling beer bottle on the coffee table, dripping condensation droplets on the glass and calling my name the first time I go to the beach saver, one of my favorite drinking places. The well-meaning but uninformed friend who places a glass of wine in front of me thinking I can just have one. And the list goes on. But the list doesn't get longer as fast these days. And that damn biting fly, I could zen his fucking ass out because I wasn't hungover.
0: <laughs> I love that
1: That's so cute oh, sorry It's so cute to hear you curse
0: <laughs> We don't normally swear <laughs> on the bubble hour But you just couldn't leave it out Because was so pertinent to what you wrote But what's and interesting so is you're really writing up. You're writing for yourself oh. Right, you're not yeah. blogging, you're not um, you're not sharing except for today, and I'm grateful you did. But you're really finding the joy and the humor and in, in expressing it. It's it's a great feeling, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah.
2: All that when I wrote that, it was so liberating. I mean, I think, and I loved your last blog post because I do the same thing. I write stuff in my head. And then I feel like I've been writing stuff in my head my whole life, and then I finally put something down on paper. And right. um, it felt so good to get that out. And it feels yeah. so good to speak my truth. And it has felt so good to be on this interview with you. I never, I really thought it was not going to feel so good, but but it has. It just, um, yeah. It, it, it is well, you so rocked great. it.
0: You rocked thank it, you. and um, thank you for sharing your story and your truth with us, um, oh, and it's just so good to hear your voice and your sweet accent. I just, we don't talk like that up here. It sounds, sounds. Well, and, just, and we don't curse in so, the South. Okay.
2: We don't curse in the, we don't curse in the South. We
0: cuss in the South. So, I'm <laughs>
2: cursing. That's, what, that's what you do to a voodoo doll. You cuss if you come around here. <laughs>
0: that's so cute uh, Hey, we're we we we're running out of time so do you have any final thoughts or anything you would like to say to the listeners of the bubble hour
2: just you can do it if I can do it you can do it oh my gosh and if you're thinking about doing it do it it'll be the best thing you ever did Um. So, but I used to think sobriety was going to be so boring and, and I was just going to be so boring and it's so not true. I have more fun, more real fun, and and feeling those real emotions, even the bad emotions, um, is, it's just amazing. And being present, being totally 110% present for my family and my kids, um, it's just it's amazing. So I guess um, a Nike slogan, just do it, just do it.
0: Just do it. Thank you for that, Julie. And mm-hmm. listeners, if you heard something in Julie's story that spoke to you and you'd like to send Julie a message of thanks or any questions, email them to me at thebubblehour at And I'll make sure that Julie gets your message. And also, listeners, if you've written something yourself that you'd like to be read on air, let me know. You can send it to me. Uh, Be sure to indicate in your message that it's something you want me to read to our listeners, and I'll be happy to do that. Again, it's thebubblehour at gmail.com. And if you'd like to be a guest on The Bubble Hour, send me a short note with a little bit about yourself, and let's see if we can make that happen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. My name is Jean McCarthy. You can read my story at unpickledblog.com. You can read many, many other stories of recovery at cryingoutnow.com. This podcast is supported by the not-for-profit shiningstrong.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, take good care.
1: I did that, not proud but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free.